Welcome to Fires on the Farm Podcast. My name is Donovan Jones, and I'm joined via Skype in the land of Elvis with Roy. From Elvis' birthplace, lovely Tupelo, Mississippi. What's the weather like there in Tupelo, Roy? It's hot and humid. God, just, that must be so sad. With it's lovely. I wish I was out flying the roof or something. It was so nice. <laughs> Well, let's get right to it. Episode 16, batting leadoff. The mission season is over, and they were swept out of the Texas League uh, Championship by the Dodger AA affiliate Tulsa Drillers. Dodgers just doing it to us any way they can. You know, we can't be so bad about that, though, because I, they lost Fernando Tatis Jr. to injury. Um, they had Chris Paddock was shut down. Uh, they lost a bunch of guys to AAA. Um, I mean, Jacob Nix spent a good chunk of the season there. Cal Quantra went to AAA. Uh, so it was a depleted team, and the fact that they were still able to get to the playoffs, um, and even the run that they have, they were, they were down in the semifinals, and they came back. So they've had a hell of a year. Absolutely. I think I called them the Miracle Missions last uh, last uh, last episode. So right now, then, it's over. They are no longer the, uh, the Padres affiliate, the San Antonio Missions. They are without a home. And Kevin Charity tweeted Saturday, it seems like it's going to come down to Chattanooga, Amarillo, or Pensacola. It looks like all the other affiliations are spoken for, according to Baseball America's tracker. So I say stay tuned. So Chattanooga had a AAA team. I believe Pensacola did too. I don't know what kind of facilities Amarillo had. I think the Amarillo is a brand new stadium. Like the Chattanooga used to be the oh. Chattanooga Lookouts, and the Pensacola are the Blue Wahoos. Yes, that's a good name. But Pensacola is a long way from San Diego. Yeah. So if they needed to call somebody up, you know, because oftentimes guys from AAA or AA get called up. Right. Uh, that's that's a long way to call somebody up. Unless they're on the East Coast. I was kind of hoping that in... I think everyone in Padres Twitter is kind of leaning for Amarillo. Uh, certainly, I think it's going to be a newer ballpark, and it's a lot closer to, you know, for our friends over at Mad Friars to cover the team, and for them to get to Double A to El Paso, or even from there on to uh, Petco Park. Um, to recap the Double A game... Oh. Go ahead. I'm a little bit sad that Double A is losing their that San Antonio is losing the missions for two reasons. For one, I liked that it was the San Antonio Missions and we're the San Diego Padres. Right. There was a nice continuity there. And for two, I'm jealous because your wife got to go to San Antonio and go to some missions games, and I never got to go. You know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if, if there's some kind of affiliate or some kind of work that she can do in Amarillo, or I'll just. Just send her there and try to put it on her company to on her company's dime. Um, so, anyways, to recap the double A game, you know, despite a pretty big error playing short, Owen Miller went nine for thirty with two doubles and a home run. Hudson Potts just caught on fire, had a pretty solid showing with three multi-hit games and a couple of uh, two baggers and a homer himself. So that last series, it seemed like. Huddy was putting it together. Well, Owen Miller, he was he was playing college baseball this spring, and so he got drafted, went NZL, Northwest League, went to um, Single A, and finished his season in Double A, crushing it the whole way. I mean, the guy's a baller. Yeah, and we're gonna have more on him uh, with some uh, content later on. But I, he's gonna have to be starting shortstop next year for for uh, for wherever the Double A team is. And what a meteoric rise for uh, you know for a for a hitter for a player to go from drafted to double A. Well, they've talked about him being a bit of a utility guy that he can play. He's played pretty much exclusively shortstop, but it sounds like they want to move him around and try to turn him into like a Ben Zobrist kind of a kind of a guy. Because you said double A, I wonder if Gabriel Arias might wind up slotting into that or somebody else. And the, the Padres are pretty loaded up at shortstop. Yeah. Granted, most of them are at single A and below, uh, but somebody's got to move up and take that spot. And I, I've i got to figure that it's going to be somebody that they want full-time at shortstop. Interesting. because well, Even though Gabriel Arias' bat really did improve the past couple weeks of the season, um, I really see him maybe slotting up in San Antonio, or sorry, up in Lake Elsinore. 
You're probably right. I, I'm sorry to look into the tea leaves and see this, but I, 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 I imagine A.J. Preller's wall. He's got one of these walls with the pins and the string and the notes and pictures pinned up all over the place trying to figure out how to sort these rosters out. But having too many good players is not a bad problem to have. What is that, right? Is that a, a gift from, um, I don't know, I think it's the guy from the, it's still sunny in Philadelphia, it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the arrows. That may still be a <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on, I was checking out Instagram the other day, and Francis Cordero's Instagram at first showed him taking live BP, which was meaning he's getting uh, he's getting healthier, but then the next little frame in the story shows Jason Rosario celebrating being picked third in the first round, third overall, by the Leones de Lice in the Dominican Winter League, and I'm pretty sure he was jumping around with Luis Patino at the Peoria Sports Complex. Yeah, it was just a year ago that Francie Cordero was going off to Winterdale, and we were looking at him as this toolsy kid. Is he going to put it all together? And then he went down to the Dominican and just scorched it and kept that going through the spring. Uh, it's too bad he got hurt when he did, but uh, this is this is a developmental league. This is for guys to go off and and work on things, learn you know, work on plate discipline or mechanics, or maybe try a different position. But Jason Rosario is one of the most exciting athletic players that the Padres organization has, and so watching him follow Franchi Cordero, who is a similar kind of a player, crazy athlete, right. I, I, I like the symmetry of that. Absolutely, and then Tatis, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. last year being the number one overall last year in, in the draft, so that was really good to see. Uh, and then also, Estuí Ruiz and Eggy Rosario were um, 12th and 13th overall picks in the June draft. Um, I just love that so many Padre minor leaguers were picked, A, so high in the draft, and were just picked overall, just, you know, put on some of these teams. I think they were picked by the Toros. They, uh, I can't, the Toros, that's all I remember. Yeah, I wish there was a little bit more coverage of the Dominican Summer League. It's hard to find live feeds and box scores. Um Hopefully, now that minor league baseball has, has just exploded, like as we're going to talk to, to Ben Hill about, uh, I, I'd like to see a little bit more coverage of the Dominican some, Dominican Winter League because uh, it's it's a whole different brand of, of baseball. Yeah. The, the atmosphere around it is, is electric. The fans are so aggressive and into it, and the style of baseball is so much more exuberant. It's a lot of fun. It's where the bat flip came from. Bat flip was born in the Dominican, <laughs> or at least in the last. Yeah, they said you can't, you can't walk off the island. Right. Oh my God. So we'll talk about that in a little bit here, in uh, when we go further down the notes. But also in the draft, um, Darius Valdez uh, was picked in the sixth round. He was a flame throwing bullpen arm from uh, Lake Elsinore, who also was up with the Double A team uh, for the playoffs, and Luis Almazar was in the 13th round from Estrellas Orientales. Orient, Orientales? Orientales. Orientales, yeah. As a minor league podcaster, I think I need to learn better pronunciation of Latin names and Latin words. Um, and also being in food service, I should know those a little bit better. As my wife gives me the stink face, yes, you should. Um, anyway, so that kind of rounds out, that kind of rounds out the, uh, the Dominican draft. We'll be watching that. I'm going, to, I'm going to find out how to watch it and and do that and keep up with it through MILB, through Yahoo, uh, through YouTube, uh, whichever way we can do that. Um, moving on, so Yahoo's Jeff Passan chose Chris Paddock as his minor league pitcher of the year. Fernando Tatis Jr., his shortstop of the year. Roy, you still with Paddock, Paddock lit it up. I mean, he started out in... He was coming off injury, started out in Lake Elsinore, dominated Lake Elsinore, and it, 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 we were calling for his promotion for, it felt like, months before he finally went up to Double A. Yeah. And then he did even better in Double A. The guy just doesn't walk anybody, and nobody can hit him. No, and, uh, you know, I'm certain he will be, uh, if he doesn't start in Triple A, he'll be up in Triple A by uh, in no time next year. Um, going on with Jeff Passan's uh, kind of like minor league team of the year, a side tweet real quick. Tex Padre tweeted, Fernando Tatis Jr. had a WRC plus of 133 and close to 400 plate appearances at the AA level in 2018, 
at the age of 19. I love Tex Padre. He's been putting, he's been bringing a lot of this information, and I put some of it in the other notes to uh, to bring up in a later episode. But he just comes up with this this content, fantastic. Um, Francisco Mejia got honorable mention as a catcher, and Luis Urias was honorable mention at second, which almost seems like a travesty. It's that time of year when these different publications are coming out with their different awards. Um, and so, I, Baseball America also came out with their all-minors all-star team, and they enlisted Fran Mill Ross, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Logan Allen as their all-minors all-star team. Um, and then they also had their classification all-star teams where they chose a team at each level. So Fran Mill Ross got selected to the AAA team. In the AA, there was Austin Allen, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Logan Allen. In advance was Buddy Reed and Chris Paddock, and low A was Chris was Luis Patino. And that group right there, to me, that that's the the group of players at each level that showed a significant step up this year. Whether it was a young guy above his you know above his typical level and performing, yeah. or somebody who earned a promotion mid season because they just couldn't hold him down. Like Fernando Reyes, he was crushing it. So how do you tell a guy now you're going to stay in the minors when he's hitting? for something and hitting home runs in six straight games it's it's so i am so excited about what all these guys are doing i just i want everybody to stay healthy and keep doing well and next year is going to be another year like this and nothing bad's going to happen crossing my fingers both my fingers across my toes across well and and to kind of riff on that for a second no there's no mention of adrian morahone there's no mention of of um michelle Baez. there's no mention of Mackenzie Gore, all three of those pitches were expecting to do phenomenal things. You know, I sp- was almost expecting to have those guys on a lot of these lists. And none of them, although they all had pretty decent seasons, but nowhere near the seasons like a Logan Allen or Luis Patino who, who put himself on the map. Um, just just crazy with the, with the pitching talent. Um, to kind of round out that uh, relief pitcher, Travis Radke, our guy Travis Radke, um, also made a relief pitcher, was honorable mention for a relief pitcher on the uh, Jeff Passan's All-Minor League team. Which is great. Roy, are you with me? I'm <laughs> We're doing this via phone, too, folks, so I don't get to see him, like, give me the hand signals. We have no, no direction here. We're just doing it off the cuff. Anyways, moving on. Uh, John Conniff wrote an article for Baseball America on Jason Rosario and Tirso Anellis. Uh, this look- article was, uh, was the highlight of my week. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, so I didn't know that John Conniff um, got pieces published by Baseball America. I don't know if this is an unusual thing for him, but that's kind of a cool honor. So props to John Conniff of Mad Friars for getting some national publication. Yeah, I thought that was just uh, Jay, uh, David Jay, not, not John Conniff, but... Uh, to go on some of the article here, Sam Gini says, I've always liked, I always linked them together because they're very close friends off the field. Uh, Gini said during a July visit to see low class A Fort Wayne, they're very good for each other and they really push and hold each other accountable. They're roommates and more than anything, they both have an advanced approach at the plate. They see the baseball very well and we sometimes forget that they're only 18 years old. Jason Rosario, hello, there we go. The six foot one ninety one, the six foot one, one ninety one pound Jason Rosario is ambidextrous, which I didn't know. Um, but it doesn't take much to get Gini to take out his cell phone and show videos of Rosario taking grounders at second base, throwing right handed. Just, I don't know if Sam Gini has children, but you know, if the minor league system are. His children, I mean, you can just see him. Giddy is a little, you know, Giddy is a father going, look at this, man, this kid could throw. Taking grounders at second base, throwing right-handed. That's crazy to me that he plays an outfield, throws left-handed, but then takes grounders and throws right-handed. So Rosario said, I've always been able to do things with both hands except hit from the right side. I've never been very good at that. Um... But Connor says, defensively, he appears to glide to balls anywhere in the outfield, but he echoes what all of his coaches want to hear, the need to not do something great just once, but consistently. The yeah. biggest thing that I need to do is get more consistent and not make the same mistakes. There's always something to learn, and when I stop learning, I know I'm doing something wrong. 
weekend. He's really putting himself on the map this year. Um, and while Rosario's athleticism jumps out, Ornelas draws attention uh, to his physical specimen at a lean 6'4", 215 pounds. Uh, but he wasn't always that way. Sam Guinea again. We really love how much he's improved athletically from when he first signed him when we first signed him in 2016. He's always been able to swing the bat and have a very good idea of the strike zone. But when you start to combine an increased athleticism, it really starts to get exciting. I thought they did I thought they did great. They are two of my favorite kids. What we saw in Jason this year surpassed our internal expectations. I thought his defense was very solid all season and he got stronger as the year went along. Tirso's time was cut short with some hand issues, but he continued to make an impression on the of the type of athlete and hitter that he is developing into. At 18 years old. Yeah, and I like his voice. He arrived as a slightly below average athlete, and now he runs better and his arm is picked up. It's a real testament to his work ethic on how much he's improved. Like a lot of kids that we signed at 16, there are a lot of things that begin to change. He's impressed us a lot athletically and how far he's come. And I think that speaks to the scouting that you see a kid, you see his frame, you see how he moves, but you don't know how that kid's going to develop over the next couple of years. And you sign a 16-year-old, and that's a boy. He's going to grow up, he's going to grow out, he's going to fill out, his body's going to change, his demeanor, everything's going to change. But it seems like the Padres, their their player development group is, is doing a really good job of turning these kids into solid young men as, as ball players, And we'll see over the coming years how 18-year-old Jason Rosario and Tirso Ornelas, how they turn into you know, early 20s starting to knock on the door of MLB. Um, it, it's, a, it's a testament to the work that Perler and his group has done to turn over all of that staff in the low minors. Because we never used to hear this about the draft picks from the late 2000s. No, not at all. And, you know, I remember the first couple of years with Preller, you know, he came on board, the Padres going, you know, the big word on him was international scout, international signings. Well, we didn't see any of that. You know, we didn't see it before. I think he, we, um, Preller came on board, what, 2014? Didn't see none of that. 2015, didn't see none of that. 2016, you know, so we're kind of left with a, you know, with, with our, with our, we're just kind of left without anything to go on. And all of a sudden, 2016 turns around. And they're still turning out guys. Um, it's 2018. We still got guys in the complex that haven't came out. So it's just going to continue to just going to continue to rain prospects. That that lava flow is flowing. <laughs> Anyways, Fort Wayne coach Anthony Contreras. For the most part, they're very stubborn about what they're trying to do at the plate. It's exciting because they're only 18. I look back at myself when I was at that age, and no way could I have done that. And I'm a big Anthony Contreras fan. You know, I, I told this to John earlier this year. Um, we seem to have all the right managers at the right levels. You know, the a young Mike McCoy, first-year manager, who spent several years in the complex, uh, you know, just being a coach there, you know, first-year coach, managing the, you know, the first-year players in the Tri-City Dust Devils. You know, the more advanced player comes up to a full-season A-ball and has someone like Anthony Contreras who talks about not only you know having them create a routine and getting them used to the grind of of minor league baseball or the minor league baseball season, and then you move on up to Phil well you know up to Philip Wellman, who okay now it's time to put all that stuff kind of in, in into practice really in Double A and it really shows you what you got coming up into Double A going all the way to Rob Barajas, who uh, I thought I saw in the he was in the dugout. Uh, this last week, and uh, I, I'll just say this once, you know, some people were tweeting, there's our future manager, um, but just an established major leaguer who is now managing at the AAA level, and now really grooming the players into becoming major league players. So I really like what Preller has done with putting each individual coach at that level, kind of at the right time, and the right kind of person. So I think that's really cool. There's been there's been some hints of people starting to call for for uh, for like people have been calling for Green's job for a little while, and I'm not a fan of that. I, I like Andy Green. I think he deserves another chance to to mature as a manager. Um, 
explain the whole the whole what was that Twitch stream thing? I, I I don't know if that reflects more on some immaturity on the roster or on Andy really being a hard ass and kind of wearing his players out. There's probably a little bit of both, uh, but people have nothing but glowing things to say about Rod Barajas. So you've got to think that if Andy Green was given the door, Barajas would would be given an opportunity. I think it would even be like a Pat Murphy thing where you let him be the interim for a half season and then bring in somebody else. Uh, I, 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 I'm really curious to see how that plays out because you point to these other rebuilds and you've got Rick Renteria that was the manager in Chicago and then they bumped him for Joe Madden and then you've got Bo Porter that was in Houston and then they brought in A.J. Hinch. I don't want that to happen to Andy Green. I like the guy, uh, but more than anything, I want the Padres to be successful. And so, if that's the kind of move that it takes, then so be it. Right. I wasn't a big fan. I'm not a big fan of all the talk about, you know, is he the right coach? I remember when when they hired Andy Green, he talked about keeping those players accountable. And the veterans that he got kept them accountable. And that rubbed a lot of those veterans the wrong way. And uh, and Matt Kemp. And um, and Justin, uh, no, Upton Jr. Melvin Upton Jr., you know that keeping the keeping the ball player accountable. So if that's rubbing people that have been in the league uh, the wrong way, such as in Will Myers' case, you know my boss keeps me accountable. I don't know why it's such a big deal when it comes to pro sports that coaches can't keep their players accountable, or even just practice. You know, it's uh, um, I think it's all misguided. So we'll see if he is going to be the manager. I I don't know. It's not me to say. Um, I think he's done a great job with the young players that do come up. So keeping him around for at least through his contract extension, and um, you know, creating that atmosphere that that the case of you know expectations you want to say again for the players. You know, these kids coming up, if they see Will Myers farting around, you know, they're gonna they're gonna think that's the norm. You know, they don't really. I'm not sure if they have more than just Hosmer going. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Let me just. Stop there. Um, you know, has to show these kids coming up how it's done. And I think Andy Green is doing just a fine job right now. But this is a minor league. Yeah, you <laughs> veteran players to drive that. And I don't know if you have to have the right veterans in place to do that. Clayton Richard seems to do a pretty good job in reading the stories of what he does in the offseason with the guys. Um you know, Eric Hosmer seems to be doing a pretty good job of that, but you can't have, you can't have, I, you know, I don't want to get too deep into all that right. stuff. Let's keep talking minor leagues. Let's do it so. Lake Dawson of the Chicago Scout Association uh, wrote an article on Owen Miller, and I picked some excerpts out of that. It was really good. I retweeted on Twitter. Um, so for R.J. Frigus, owner of Hitters Baseball, Miller's summer travel ball team, while he was in high school, all of that made perfect sense. Miller, a Mequin, Wisconsin native, was the best player on the field every time out. And according to Fergus, in Miller, Fergus saw the best player that had ever played for the hitters. He didn't see how he didn't see how every college program couldn't see it. Quote The guy I was coaching with me at the time, we couldn't figure it out, Fergus said of Miller's recruitment. When he plays, he's Mr. Consistent. He ran a six point eight sixty yard dash. He threw 84 miles per hour across the diamond. He didn't do anything but barrel up the baseball. I couldn't figure out why nobody was on him. And after he blew up at Illinois State, everyone was saying they made a mistake. Not, you know, not everyone Horner envisions, not even Horner envisioned a start like this, which has earned Miller a spot on the Padres' top 30 prospect list, according to MLB.com. Quote, this is Miller. I've been looked over at times, and it's led me to work even hard and want success more. I don't think that will ever go away, even in pro ball. I see it. I just keep working hard. If you get a chance, I retweeted on Twitter. It's a fantastic article. It goes really in-depth with the coaches, uh, with with, uh, with, this, uh, with this hitting coach, or the, sorry, with this travel ball team coach. Really solid article. Um, but yeah. Moving on, San Diego Union writer Jeff Sanders had his minors class picture, the best in 2018 draft. He uh, The list starts here. 
best hitter at shortstop, Owen Miller. 336, 386, 460. 41, uh, 41 Ks and 298 at-bats. Uh, best power, infielder Sean Gilby. That Gilby? 5HR, mm-hmm. 16 extra base hits in 40 games in rookie level. No, second base. Yeah, we're going to see most of these guys in the prospect game play at Becker Park uh, next month. Absolutely. Uh, and here's another one. Note, second baseman Lee Solomon led the class with seven homers in Arizona while batting 298, 365, and 517 in 41 games. Solomon was the uh, was the guy who uh, the first hit in pro ball off um, that, that Mackenzie Gore gave up was a home run by Lee Solomon. Best defense. Yeah, right? Best defender, shortstop Xavier Edwards. Now, these are all the guys that were drafted this year in 2018. A runner-up to Miller with the bat after hitting 346 in his first 45 games as a pro, the 30th pick out of Florida high school, has enough arm to remain at shortstop and play with arguably more game speed than any of the organization's 2018 draftees. That's our boy Xavier. He has the wheels and glove. And yeah, he did. People think that he's going to be the be- might be one of the best players coming out of this year's draft, and I, he's already starting to climb up the prospect list. Yeah, fastest runner, best athlete was Juwan Harris. The ability of the 21-year-old Harris to warrant playing time at Rutgers as a receiver, defensive back, and kick returner speaks volumes on his genetic gifts. Most polled for his for this survey believed uh, Harris could edge Edwards in a straight-up sprint, even if Edwards' game speed is the best of the class. Harris is a work-in-progress prospect on the diamond who hit 433 over his last 10 games to live his rookie ball batting line to 225, 360, and 375. When you think of how much time football requires as far as practice and exercise and all that stuff, now he has to retrain his body and learn the baseball skills. Right? These guys that have been playing baseball nonstop, it's you know, how much how much more growth is there in those skills? So he may take longer to bloom, but he he's a premium athlete, and that's what they go after. I, I like how in this last draft they're going after guys that like Owen Miller played basketball. Um, Xavier Edwards also played. I think he was a two sport athlete. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got guys that they're they're diverse. Their body is balanced. They're not just so specifically tuned for baseball. Right, which makes for a better athlete and an overall better player. Uh, oh, and uh, Ryan Weathers was also a CIF champion for his basketball team in, in, in Tennessee, I believe. Best fastball, right-handed pitcher Dylan Coleman. A heavy workload at Missouri State forced an early shutdown after the 21-year-old Coleman fanned 29 batters while posting a 3.18 ERA and 22 and two-thirds innings as a reliever who moved from short-season Tri-City to low-single-A Fort Wayne. His short-arm slot fastball was up to 98 miles an hour with life this summer. So that's not just straight 98, that's straight 98 moving. Best secondary pitch, Ryan, Ryan Weathers. Here we go. A mid-90s fastball from the left side plays up even more off a plus changeup and with late fade and drop that mirrors his two-seamer. The number seven overall pick more than held his own as the Padres pushed Pushed, uh, pushed him from rookie ball with a 3.86 ERA to low single in Fort Wayne 3.0. Weather is the center of a veteran 19, uh, 19 major league seasons. Struck out 18 against four walks over 18 in the third innings spread across both levels. Those are all real small numbers, folks. An absolute thumbnail of a sample size, but you get a look, you get a see, and and that's what he's got. And those pitches can only get better. The best pro debut goes to ding, Owen Miller. His 100-hit campaign bodes well for bypassing high single-A leg Elsinore to start 2019 in, in San Antonio, one level or maybe two below Fernando Tatis Jr. My thoughts here real quick, and we'll finish it up here in a second. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him over to third base. You know, to give a little depth at that position with, with Hudson Potts, with Ty France, um, you know, with Gable Arias and Fernando Tatis Jr., both pretty solid at shortstop. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Owen, you see Miller, he's got a he's thick, thick trunk. So he's got these 
big third baseman legs. Um, that he may move well in shortstop, but I think he might move over to short. Just me riffing, just me thinking about it. But I, that's kind of been on my mind for a while. Maybe getting over there to uh, to get him quicker to the major leagues. Gonna- well, there might be something to that because Hudson Potts he still has a lot, a, a long ways to go. And there was a there was a chat this week um, on. Uh, baseball America, and so somebody was asking, is Hudson Potts a top five third base prospect in the minors? And Kyle Glazer said, no, there's still a lot of holes in his swing that have evaluators concerned, and they're very visible when you go watch him. There's a lot to like with Potts, and he adjusts very well, but he's not close to one of the top five third base prospects in the minors. He's going to need another two years before he's really actually ready. So, if you've got somebody who is climbing up the list, he plays great defense, the guy can just straight up hit, I, I could see why he might he might jump over it. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to search on here real quick to see who's who's older. because um, I think Potts is uh, I don't have an age I'm eighteen point nine. Potts is nineteen and yeah. he was a sophomore well, they're pretty darn close because uh, Miller was a sophomore at a, at a college when he uh, when he was drafted. He was drafted going into his uh, junior year, so they're very close. He's twenty one. He's about to turn twenty two in November. Okay. Miller, right? Yeah. 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 So you know, and that's and holding Potts back isn't that's not a knock on him. You know, that's just he's going to need a little more time to to figure out the bat and. Uh, oh, I think sometimes we get excited. We get a little bit overly amped about these guys. We want to see them pushed up. And people that we're talking about, oh, bring Chris Paddock up. Chris Paddock just started pitching to double A. There's a long way for these guys to go. And so you see Buddy Reed. He's tearing it up in single A. That does not mean that he's going to have any chance against Major League Pitching. And you saw that as soon as he went up to double A, he hit a wall. And so did Hudson Potts. Yeah, he only played, I think he played two games in the playoffs. And struck out like 13 times in the whole on all the playoff. Uh, just had a horrible playoff experience, and th- and that's fine. So uh, real quick, I want to close this out. Um, a close second to that best pro debut was Xavier Edwards. And he hit 314, 438, and 360 in 24 games in the Northwest League, and swiped 22 bags in 23 attempts across both levels. That's short season, and that's Northwest League and Midwest League. Um, you know, so that's, that's Jeff, excuse me, we're doing this, I'm doing this without having printed it, I'm doing it on my computer, yeah, that's Jeff Sanders, minor league, best in 2018 draft. Roy, what else you got? The Padres had a great draft, and a whole bunch of players filled into the minor leagues and started doing well, and so now with the instructional roster announced, there's what, I think 71 players that are going off to instructs. Uh, plus the players that are going off to the Dominican Summer uh, Winter League. Um, and so now there's that to follow. We'll have the instructs starting up soon. The Arizona Fall League starts up soon. And then they're going to bring everybody to Petco Park for that showcase. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm, I'm hoping to get a lot of, well, hoping to get dailies from that Friars on the instructional leagues. If not, we'll have to look up uh, MLBfarm.com and get it from there. Um, I'm going to have to search for content for the Dominican Summer League I'll, where I can read it in English. I'm, you can go to the Dominican website, but it's all in Spanish, but I guess numbers don't really lie. But if you wanted to get any kind of idea of what they're doing there, any kind of game recap stuff would have to come uh, We have to come from somewhere. Well, we're going to do our best to filter through all that and uh, condense it all and put it in the podcast form for all you listeners out there. <laughs> Real quick before we end this, real quick, I had a couple things that I put together. Too much Morton's tweeted. Uh, Eric La- Fangraphs, Eric Lungahagen, and Kylie McDaniel wrote in Fangraphs, um, Luis Patino, we believe Patino is the best 18-year-old pitching prospect on the planet. He has a mid-90s fastball plus breaking ball and a kind of a premium athleticism in- indicative of growth in other areas. Yes. And another one, real quick. This is on the Major League team. So Jacob Nix, in 2018, what Nix did last night, this was his couple starts ago, is so odd, so unexpected that it stands out much more than a double-digit 
strikeout game. Knicks threw 8.1 innings, allowing only one run, and he did so in a game where he walked no one and struck out no one. According to Baseball Reference Play Index, there have only been 13 appearances this decade when a pitcher has thrown eight or more innings without recording a strikeout. He was the one trying to go to Maddox in that game. I really wanted to see him finish that out. Oh, yeah, that's and which became a very big debate on Padres Twitter on what should have been done. And I do. I think you let him, you let him power through it. Win or loss, you, you let him power through it. And that's how you develop pitchers. He, he was, what, 78, 79, 85 pitches? It wasn't the pitch count. It was, but at the same time, he got hit hard. In that inning, I, I think that the, that out that, there was a, the one out that he recorded was a deep fly ball, and then there was the home run. Right. I, he, was, he, was, he was missing his location. The stuff wasn't there. It seemed like the right time to pull him out to me. It's just unfortunate that he had such a good game going at the time. Yeah. Um, well, that's about it. We are coming up here with um, my one of my favorite pals um, from the, uh, the Show Before the Show podcast at MILB, um, Benjamin Hill has gone to every single minor league ballpark in America. Um, that's 172 total. Uh, Twelve of those ballparks since he started have gone now defunct. Um, but we have an interview with him coming up right now. Benjamin Hill has written for MILB since 2005 and for the past eight years has been exploring America through minor league baseball. And he chronicles his travels on his blog for MILB at bensbiz.mlbblogs.com and also shares those stories on the Show Before the Show podcast where I found him with Tyler Mon and Sam Daxter. And we are privileged here at Friars on the Farm to have Ben with us here today. Ben, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So, for my listeners, I... Let's just start here. So you get the job and you start writing promo previews for MILB back part-time in 2005. Um, And then what happens? Do they just go up to you and go, hey, Ben, do you want to go to the West Virginia Power and write a story? Or how do you get going to all the ballparks? Yeah, no, I mean, this is not the job where I've really been approached to do much. It's me kind of figuring it out um, as I'm going along. Um, A lot of that is... Going way back to 2005, it was the first year of MILB.com. Uh, so nobody knew what they were doing um, because that you know that had never been done before. A you know a, a website for all 160 teams and uh, 160 club sites, you know, as part of that. So it was a massive undertaking. Never been done. I don't think going into it, there was really too much thought about uh, the sort of work I ended up doing. Uh, it certainly wasn't anyone's prerogative at the time. I'm sure it would have developed without me anyway. I'm not saying that this never would have happened. Um, it would have happened in some shape or form. It happened to be me. Um, so I was just writing game recaps in 2005. Um, you know, got the job through a friend. Yeah. Uh, didn't really look at it as much, um, you know, as a long-term career option at the time because I was tempted. I was just doing just about anything. But yeah, 2006, uh, one of the editors, I, I was working during the day then just because uh, during that first offseason, there was nothing to do at night. So I was like, if we're going to do nothing, can I call in during the day? And um, that small decision probably created my whole career because I was the only writer during the day as the site was getting going in its first offseason. And I started to assigned articles uh, related more to the business of minor league baseball, teams changing their names and stuff like that. Uh, that season rolled around. They asked me to write promo preview. It was just an editor who was doing radio with a lot on his plate. And uh, I thought, you know, this is perfect for me. Because um, it's still baseball, but I get to write, you know, make jokes and, and have a little more fun with it because it's it's minor league baseball. They're not taking themselves too seriously. So I found it really fit what I wanted to do anyway. And uh, then I started getting feedback from people in the industry who liked promo preview because at that time, and this is kind of not pre-social media, but certainly pre-social media as we know it now, right. um, teams generally didn't know what other teams were doing during the season. There really wasn't coverage of that. So I was inadvertently, you know, in addition to making my own dumb jokes, I was inadvertently filling the need um, for this kind of material. And so this feedback from within the industry at first uh, that really got me to focus on that path 
And I started blogging in 2007, and I continued until full-time to become 2009. And uh, going into 2010, I started to say, you know, if I'm now full-time, I've hired and hired to be an expert on this entire niche in my industry. How much of an expert can I really be if I've literally never gone anywhere outside of a handful of places, um, you know, when I was a kid or, you know, in the immediate New York City area? Right. That's what led to the travel in 2010, and it's grown a lot and evolved a lot, and I'm still kind of making it up as I you know, find a way to proceed. But uh, I was going to say that was a short answer, but it wasn't very short. But that's uh, how this all came together. But uh, 2010 was, yeah, the first official year of travel, and then in the subsequent uh, eight years, nine seasons, I was you know, just plugging away, finding a diamond, and I've gotten everywhere. Okay, quick question. Go ahead. It's amazing how, how the the internet has allowed the baseball landscape to get smaller. Because you think 10 years ago, following a minor league team, that's that's a hard thing to do. You really had to be ardent about looking at the local newspapers and that type of thing. Where now, with the internet and with blogs like yours, we can follow, we can look at all of these different teams, follow our closest prospects. It's, it's really become a lot of fun. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like there wasn't many baseball content on the internet before MILB.com, but it was a lot more fragmented, uh, for sure, and a lot harder to follow, and I think just the average baseball fan has an awareness of the minor leagues now that would have been uh, inconceivable, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I think in the rise of internet and social media that uh, that fans are becoming more interested in their minor league system and minor league baseball in general, but what I wanted to ask was, did they give you a company car? No, in fact, I don't even have a car, period. Um, you know, I live in New York City and have since 2002, and uh, as I'm getting a little older, I've been starting to think about finally biting the bullet and buying one, but at the same time, I don't need one day to day, so um, nobody here has a company car. I don't think company cars exist <laughs> throughout the entire company, so uh, I've got no bitterness about that whatsoever. Well, God, I hope, there might, well, I hope the minor league budget at least uh, puts the bill for a decent rental. Yeah, yeah, and uh, again, because I sort of made this up as I go along, it's, um, you know, I've always been very budget conscious. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity for what I do, but I always want to have my receipts check out and not have any extravagant expenses, and, you know, I, I go for compact cars. I'm just one man. I don't need anything else. I, I drive a lot of Kias and Ford Focuses and things like that. Long as a CD player, I think I thought I read. <laughs> yeah, big on CDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, Ben, what, what team did you grow up watching? Who were your favorite uh, major league teams and minor league teams as you grew up? Well, you know, I didn't grow up going to many minor league games. I grew up in Andover, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, about 20 miles north of the city. And, um, you know, even though what I do now, you know, baseball is in a lot of ways peripheral to it, um, it's more about the promotions and how the teams operate and whatnot, um, that doesn't negate the fact that, you know, I've always been a gigantic baseball fan. It's always been one of my... You know, primary loves ever since I was can remember, um, and I was a huge Phillies fan. Um, you know, my first memory is maybe in the uh, mid '80s. You know, Mike Schmidt is a hero, and uh, you know, uh, obsessed over. I was really obsessed, and with Topps baseball cards and the stats on them, and you know, listening to Harry Callis call the games. And you know, I was, and even then, I was into the weirdness of baseball, and um, that's one of the things that attracted me to it is just how infinite it was and the absurdities that could happen on any given night. Uh, even when I was a kid, six or seven or eight years old, I was just fascinated by it. So it's always just kind of been in my blood, obsessing about baseball and the Phillies in particular. Um, the only minor league game team I saw with any consistency is my grandparents for a time had a house in the Poconos in northeastern Pennsylvania. So in my very early years when Scranton, Scranton Wicksburg, first got a team, we would go to see uh, Red Barons games, and uh, you know there's still a team um, there. Obviously, now they're a Yankees, they're Phillies then, now they're Yankees affiliate. Uh, but that ballpark was essentially torn down and rebuilt from the ground up. So the ballpark you see the Rail Riders playing uh, is totally different from the one I saw as a kid. Uh, the one I went to as a kid was literally a miniature veteran stadium with the same dimensions and the astroturf, and was you know for Phillies as a farm club, it was. Uh, built to replicate the vet as much as possible. Talking about the absurdities of baseball, where do you get your subversive baseball jokes, and could you tell us a good one here? Um, I don't know if I can, you know, they're ballpark jokes, so since I'm not at a ballpark, I'm not sure if I can tell them now. Um, 
like a lot of things I do, um, you know, there's just been no template for this job, and uh, so I'm always just kind of trying to create, I'm very routine oriented, and probably borderline OCD, and uh, you know, I've always liked jokes and wordplay, and it started in 2015, I just kind of, you know, I just have a little, my little mental checklist every time I go to the ballpark of the things I do and the things I cover, and for some reason it got in my head that year that I do a joke um, at the end of every game that I see. And uh, that was big. That was that was a groundbreaking and subversive ballpark jokes. And uh, you know, I can't say where they come from, but it is pretty ridiculous um, in my own mind how I've you know, these long days, long nights on the road, and sometimes I've been wandering around an increasingly empty parking lot, like not allowing myself to leave until I come up with a joke. And it gets pretty pretty ridiculous sometimes, but I just can't let it go. Well, we're Padre fans here, so I really like the uh, the subversive uh, minor league joke that you had. In the tin caps at, at a Parkview Field for the uh, Fort Wayne tin caps. Um, had to do with cider and um, apples and that. Uh, just you have it on your blog. It's on there. Uh, it's a tweet you tweeted out. I, I really like that. So um, yeah, yeah, that was about a uh, the, the logo in the in the tin caps. Uh, yeah, the logo was uh, apparently juicy, but uh, that was insider information. It was something, <laughs> um, you know. To my point, though. I went to a game, that was Father's Day, I went to a game, could not come up with a joke, went back to my hotel, kept thinking about it, still didn't have one, went back to the ballpark and wandered around in laps around the ballpark until I came up with that joke, and it was one of my more popular ones, so hard work pays off. Uh, okay, so you've watched people eat chocolate-covered frog legs in Lake Elsinore, what are some of the more bizarre contests that you've seen, and have any gone wrong? Um, you know, it, it's tough to say, when contests, when, when between inning contests go wrong, in a lot of ways that means they just went more right, because, right. <laughs> you know, you're just looking to entertain and have a story, so if you fall over or spill something on yourself or whatever, you know, it just adds to the story, so I can't think of anything that went, to me, where it went the most wrong, and I've told the story before, but, um... You know, I've really gotten wary of wearing costumes in doing um, between inning races. You know, with local mascots, uh, because I found I get really claustrophobic in, in those uh, wearing these gigantic heads on top of my own head and enjoying heat and probably not you know working out as much. Um, I've had some moments of panic. You know, socializing with the fans in costume after a race and just being desperate to rip the head off. And uh, so I do those really sparingly now, and I, I think that's where it would truly go wrong, not wrong in a good way, is if I passed out in one of those costumes or got so desperate I just ripped the head off on the top horse. Um, so I'm trying to be aware of my own limits, yeah. I have a psychic breakdown in the middle of, a, in the middle of a, some kind of game with a little kid around. No, that wouldn't be good. Hey, so you have celiac disease. I am, the day job, I'm in food service. Uh, the designated eater... Um, so as, as a designated eater, um, well, as, a, as someone with celiac disease, um, have you ever eaten a roasted grasshopper? No, I haven't, but I would have absolutely no problem with it. Um, you know, outside of the things I'm not allowed to eat anymore because of the celiac disease diagnosis, which, you know, no blue oranges, of course, white rye and barley, um, I would eat just about anything. And I'm not just saying this, the grasshoppers look good to me. Right. Um, I've, I've, I've sex in other contexts. I am a very, you know, I like salty, savory foods much more than sweet. And then something with a little crunch. So, you know, some grasshoppers with like a cherry lime, cherry lime seasoning, salted oil, that, that, that totally sounds good to me. And I think uh, as humans, we need to evolve in terms of what we consider uh, and don't consider food and also get over our, you know, ethnocentric assumption over what is edible and what is not. I think that speaks to our own biases more than anything else. I can tell you from personal experience, they're pretty darn good. They're crunchy, they're spicy, uh, but you got to have something to wash them down with. Yeah, so there you go, you know, so I need some grasshoppers, you know, I, I, I'm not even admitting it. So tell us a little, I'm trying to go along the Tyler Mon vein of not asking for a favorite this or a favorite that, but tell us some of, about some of the attractions that minor league ballparks have. You know, the Frisco, the Frisco Rough Riders have that Lazy River who I was actually watching the game, I think you were at, I was on MILB-TV, and in between innings they had you going down the lazy river. Um, tell us about some of those things that you saw along your travels. 
Rogers so much. Um, in terms of uh, unique features of a ballpark, I mean, the Lazy River is definitely way up there. Uh, Frisco is the only one that has that. And then uh, I was able to go to Shirtless Baseball Con having that deal. So that was a, that was a home run for me. I mean, I was wanted to show people, uh, you know, what I look like without a shirt. Um, you know, I'd say um, the Ferris wheel in Quad Cities is another like real standout uh, addition to a ballpark. To to be on the Quad Cities River Bandits, to have a uh, Ferris wheel out there in left center field on the uh, Mississippi River with the, the bridge uh, connecting to Iowa and Illinois on that um, is definitely one of the, one of the better ballpark settings. Um, Man, I mean, it, it, it really does all blur together. <laughs> so I get so many questions about the best this or best that, and it's frustrating. Uh, and I understand it, but it's frustrating because you need, you know, I need, like, nights to let this, like, mass of material sort of, uh, you know, start to make sense and so I can isolate specific memories outside of a largely incoherent jumble. Absolutely. That's why I just kind of keep that question kind of open there. Um what are some of the weirdest regional creations food-wise that you've seen? Um, I think a lot of these teams are... Uh... Sorry, guys. I'm getting some e- echo back on my voice there. Okay. Well, um, we're not getting it over here. All right. Sorry. Just sometimes it's hard to talk when I hear my voice coming back. I think it just went away. Sorry about that. No worries. Don't mean I have to make you edit times <laughs> later. We can edit. But, uh, okay, I think it's gone. But yeah, for a while there, my voice was coming back. In th- th- okay. Um, yeah, unique regional food. Um, you know, I think teams have backed away from a lot of the inherently just attention-getting stuff that's just big and oversized and, uh, you know, kind of almost purposely gross. Um... You know, obviously we've seen a huge trend with teams, you know, playing a game as a regional food item. I think that's where you see some of the weirdest stuff. You know, I, I kind of knew it had to happen, but I was glad to see it. You know, when DeLarva won the Scrapple this year, um, that's pretty weird. One, because it's monochromatic, um, you know, it's just a kind of off-brown slab of food, so it doesn't really translate well to a uniform. But, you know, Scrapple is literally like meat byproduct, and I guess hot dogs are too, if you think about it. But to really celebrate something as um, polarizing as Scrapple, I thought it was a pretty good one in the Marva. You know, you see, you see weird stuff quite a bit. And even if it's not weird, I think teams, whenever possible, and you see them doing it more and more, should have things that speak to their region. You know, to go to Biloxi, and, you know, this is weird, but it's not so much weird as a reflection of the fact it's Biloxi. You know, you can get oysters uh, served on a Frisbee, you know, and that's, uh, you know, a little strange, but it also speaks to the fact they're just shuckers. That's an oyster reference. They're on the coast. Um, and that stuff like that is really cool. You know, I'm way overdue for a trip back to Hagerstown, and I don't think they sell these anymore, but I never forgot they had a vendor selling beet eggs, you know, which are pickled with, like, hard-boiled eggs that have a red color, and uh, I like them a lot, you know, I get them on the road, uh, Sheets, you can find them at Sheets convenience stores, uh, for looking for bee eggs. That's very Homer Simpson of you to know <laughs> the, the eggs. Um, oh, I, I, I absolutely do, and you know, being, being in Florida, you, you have to get dinner where you can sometimes, so if it's like hard-boiled eggs and like beef jerky, then so be it. <laughs> well, you, you've done a lot of traveling, surely you've broken down, got lost, tell us about some of the some of the adventures of your own travel going through uh, all this great land of ours. You know, knock on wood, I, I always expected as I went from year to year, you know, not, not, not in a fatalistic way, but I expected something would go really wrong at one of these points. You know, where the car would break down, I'd be stranded on the road, I'd get in some kind of accident, um, and that never happened. I made it to every ballpark on time, and... Um, I got pulled over once, but somehow got off of the warning. Um, yeah, never got in an accident. Uh, never got lost to the point where I was just truly desperately lost. To me, it's more of a cumulative thing. As much as you know, people always say, and I don't begrudge them or disagree. You know, but people say, you know, you're living the dream. Like this is the best thing in the world. You're living the dream by doing this. Um, you know, I love to do it too. But I, th- I think people forget. That just like any job, just like their job, it's work. And at the end of the day, it's a lot of work. Because 
Dude, my boy just sitting on the hammock. Get up, you child of God. And he's going back to the hotel and watching a movie and getting up and exploring local sites. Like, I'm already in my hotel room, staying up late. I'm driving from you know, one place to the next on a pretty tight timeline. It's very stressful. So often I kind of feel like I'm borderline melting down just from the constant logistics of the whole thing. Um, that's really been my major issue is like a dozen small... Uh, you know, paper cuts as opposed to one massive concussive blow. Definitely. So I got a question. One of the one of the highlights of my ex- baseball experience was when Ace, the world's fastest squirrel, showed up at Petco Park and surprised everybody. We had no idea what was going on. Are you familiar with Ace, the world's fastest squirrel? Yeah, sure. I raced him. Uh, you know, he retired after 2017, but I raced him during that 2017 farewell season. Uh, of course, I lost. And um, you know, this year, 2018, just like in 2017, I have uh, an insert set in the in Topps Pro debut, and one of those cards actually features Ace, the, uh, the fastest score in the world. So I got his own baseball card um, through my travels. And um, you know, one thing with Ace is you can't prove it. But the phrase in Atlanta, which is funny and well done, you know, is exact is the same exact premise as Ace the Fastest Squirrel, where instead of like, you know, having a character who loses, which is usually what you do when the mascot always loses the race, um, having a character that wins and destroys the competition every time, and uh, you know, they pioneered that with uh, Ace the Fastest Squirrel in the World, Blake Elsinore, and then. Uh, you know, Atlanta Braves took the concept wholesale and used it for the phrase. I mean, it's possible you could just have that same idea isolated, but, you know, if I was betting, I think someone in Atlanta knew what Lake Elsinore were doing and brought the idea there. That's my conspiracy theory. Yeah, or do you think it's faster? Um, I think at this point, um, the phrase is, I mean, if you're talking about the human body running a race, I know that I don't know who the, what the guy's name is, but I know he's a younger guy. And, uh, Ace the fastest score in the world was obviously very fast, but uh, you know Irving had been racing for a long time, and I think he kind of knew uh, that his legs would you know, tall die, and this might be his name. So I don't know what I'm putting that in right now. Um, I think uh, I think the phrase would win, but you know it's a, it becomes one of those questions, you know, like LeBron or uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, you're comparing you know two players in different eras, and it becomes a theoretical game and a constant source of argument to, to really decide who's the best. You never have a clear answer. Uh, That's, a fair, the, That's fair. Uh, one of the questions we uh, we asked the minor leaguers here uh, is, who would win, a Tyrannosaurus Rex or, or a million cats? It's a debate. They debate it, and they go on with... And they, debate, um, they debate it online all the time. Yeah, I'd go with the cats, no question. I mean, because, you know, you'd have a lot of cat fatalities, um, but at the end of the day, you know, the T-Rex can only really, you know, eat them with his mouth. He can't pick them up. And I just think the, the sheer overwhelming number, a million? I mean, I, I think even like a thousand cats could beat a T-Rex. So I think a million, at the end of the day, you'd still have, you know, probably 800-some thousand cats, you know, alive and well, feasting on the bones of the T-Rex, which is probably how the dinosaurs went extinct. <laughs> Well, Ben, I, I I really appreciate you coming on, Roy. Do you have any more questions for Ben? I I just um, you know, I've been listening. I, I, it's hard. I think that's a good one to go out on. That's tough to talk. You know, if um, for the listeners of the show before the show podcast, uh, you can get it on any of your podcast uh, thingies or whatever. And uh, I've been listening for the past two years, and it's been fantastic. Follow Ben uh, at Ben'sBiz.MLBBlogs.com. Or just go to the MILB app and then scroll down and it's the blogs. Uh, ben, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us here in San Diego uh, and talking about your travels. Uh, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, my pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks guys for listening to the podcast and for reading. You know, you can check out the blog, Twitter at Ben's Biz. I'm always writing stories for MILB.com too. We have a, a lot of those are road trip based as well. So. You know, I try to be as uh, comprehensive as possible and all over the place, literally. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Ben. Hey, Ben, thank you so much, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Good talking to you guys. All right, we'll let you go. Thank you very much, Ben. (laughs) 
you know, I, I that, that was Benjamin Hill, and I'm such a big fan and a little starstruck and almost even a little nervous um, talking to him, uh, simply because I've been listening to that podcast for so long, and, uh, you know, I, I hold those guys in such high esteem, um, but really they're just fellow podcasters. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, he's he's lived the kind of lifestyle that I think on some level we kind of dream about, about being able to just live and go on the road and go to all these different ballparks and experience all this cool stuff and the people that he's met along the way and the crazy things he's seen. Um, I, we only cracked the tip of the iceberg, but I need to dive back through his blog and uh, and, and read some of his stories again. Because he's a, he's a great writer and he's seen some amazing things. Yeah, well, and that, you know, when you talk about talk about the romanticism of minor league baseball and he mentioned it on the in the interview it's like it's a grind it's it's not you know there's not angels carrying him to the game every day he's got to drive from in between field to the next field get a hotel check into the hotel am i going to make the game get to the game and he doesn't like us when we go to minor league baseball games we sit there we watch the game um, he goes there, he starts going around with promotions, he's always involved in the in-between inning stuff, he's going around and seeing the sites and talking to people, you know, he's really just trying to soak in and gather as much of the bulk experience, uh, more so than the game, you know, and, uh, and uh, it is romantic, but, you know, I, I think of, just real quick, I, I think of like when me and Lydia talk about moving to a small minor league city and being a host family, how excited I am to be going to a game every night. And then kind of thinking again, like, am I going to go every night? I mean, I'm sure within the first season, I will we'll go to most, almost all every game. But I would think even after a while, it's like, okay, we're not, we don't have to go to the game. I don't want to go to the game, you know? I mean, I, I can tell you that between me and Angela, at this point in the season, it's been a long season. It's been a, a we've had a lot of other stuff going on too, but now we're a little bit burnt out, and it's to the point where we've looked at, at each other a few times and said, "Do you really want to go tonight?" Eh, not really. Uh, now, in in his case, he's going to all these different stadiums, and so then there's there's a, a new fresh sense to it. Uh, but I'm sure that on some level, it does wind up being a grind for him. Absolutely, and I wanted to say real quick that we might have finished, we might have fixed a audio problem where uh, we did the interviews, all the interviews we've done here on Friars at the Farm have been via me just turning on my computer and plugging in, uh, you know, Skype and pressing record on my, you know, on my platform. Um, Hence, you get the really loud interview with Chris King last week where it was just the the levels were off. and then we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm hoping it should should do well. But all I did, and I listened to my wife, and I listened to Roy, and I put earphones. I just put my cell phone earphones into the headphone jack, and he sounds great. I think I sound great, but it's certainly um, it's a lot clearer and not so um, just jumbled up and kind of messy. So I think moving forward, we're going to have a lot cleaner interviews. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're about constant improvement here, both with the Padres, minor leaguers, and with our own podcasting skills. Right. We're, it's, it's a minor league podcast with minor league players. Right. We're developing <laughs> uh, And so we really appreciate everyone listening this whole season. Um, it's been really fun for me. It's been fun bringing on Roy and just – having Roy here um, really just class up the joint. Um, and I uh, want to thank everyone that we talked to this year. Dylan Sin, uh, Kyle Glazer came on, and Chris King, um, Kevin Charity, not only coming on as a uh, you know as someone to talk to about the minor league system, but you know coming on for uh, co-host for, with me while you were getting married. Uh, and then just now, Benjamin Hill, who I think is the coup de grace um, of this year so far, but also I'm working on another special guest um, to come on the podcast. I'm not going to say her name, but uh, another special guest that um, that will fill up our time during the off season as we come up with uh, with content and interviews with people and have guests. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We're we're still developing. We're still learning. We're still moving forward as a podcast. And by now, I'm probably talking to like. 
two people. Um, but I just want to thank you guys for for uh, for listening. And uh, you can find me at SD Donovan at Twitter, and you can find Roy at ZDP underscore TMS. All right, and from San Diego, go Padres. And from Tupelo, Mississippi, go Padres. Tupelo, Mississippi.